Your Money Replay from Money FM 89.3. Influence with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. Today in Influence, I sit across the creator and host of a brand new podcast that hopes to change the way people view retirement and it's giving a voice to people over the age of 60, which it says is an underrepresented market, both in terms, I suppose, in, of exposure and uh, in terms of, I suppose, what we're marketing to as well. It's got to be part of the mix. We're going to find out more with media and marketing consultant and the man behind the Quick Silver Generation podcast, Miguel Bernaz. Welcome to influence. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me, Michelle. I feel like we have something in common. We both love audio and people telling stories. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't have nearly as much experience as you, but I'm getting there. I'm learning. <laughs> so it's a 10 episode series for a start. Yeah, I mean, that's the first season. I've planned 10 episodes. It's called the Quicksilver Generation. Obviously, it's a bit of a play on words on what the Singapore government refers to as the silver generation. Mm. And the idea is really like, we like to call it uh, reinvention is the new retirement, which basically talks to the fact that these are the people we're interviewing are 60 and older, and they're people who are reinventing themselves, reinventing their careers, even after what is supposed to be the traditional retirement age. So who are some of these uh, Quicksilver 60-year-olds that you're talking to? So we've dropped three episodes so far. First episode, I interviewed Dave McCoggan, who is based out of Bangkok. He is an expert in this area. He's done a lot of studies. He's been working in the field for many, many years. Mm. Um, We had a great chat about that. The second episode featured a very interesting gentleman named Louis Liu. He is a Singaporean, uh, early 60s. He is Singapore's expert on data recovery. Okay. Like he's a computer guy mm. and he picked up how to become a computer guy in his 50s. Wow. And now basically he runs a proper operation. He was telling me he's doing as many as 10 data recoveries at any given moment in time. Was he in IT before this? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> if I remember correctly, he trained in as, as an accountant. So he really just trained himself, never went to computer school. Computer school didn't exist when he was going to school. And he trained himself how to do this. And episode number three centers around? Pian Balji. Ah, I know that name. Yeah, so so my dear friend Balji, he and I work together as consultants on a PR and uh, and marketing account. He's got a new book out as well. And he has a new book out, Mm. yes. So Balji's another interesting story because he retired, as in retired from working. Journalism, he's a newsman. So what's he doing now? That's right. Yeah, so he's working as a media consultant and recently as an author. So we worked on the same account. Um, Imagine that the two of us, there's a 20-year gap between us. And we worked on this account together. So he's still very much in the game, very much in the mix of things, very much up to date on what's going on in the world. How is this podcast series, The Quicksilver Generation, Miguel, sort of a reinvention for you in terms of what you've been doing? Well, I've been in marketing all my life. And the focus of the last, really the last 10 plus years for my career has been digital media. But as I got older, you kind of, you know, move up the corporate hierarchy. And then I realized that, I kind of reached as far as I want to go because after a certain point, it no longer becomes fun. When I looked at what I actually enjoy doing, mm-hmm. I realized what I actually enjoy is content. So, you know, I do a couple of things now. One is I work as a consultant doing, you know, helping clients through their content marketing strategies. And then this latest thing is creating content itself. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, but I also have now this podcast and another 
podcast on the way. Okay, so you help other companies maximize the reach, I suppose, of their content. So how are you applying some of the insights to your own podcast? Well, one of the great things about the digital media industry today is that it's kind of like a golden age for content creators mm. because the tools are there that never existed before, right? So the technology is cheaper than it's ever been in terms of microphones, in terms of mixers and decks and stuff like that. But most importantly, you have the platforms for distribution. Mm -hmm. A lot of these platforms are, you know, are free, right? And a lot of them are also relatively inexpensive compared to, say, what the cost of setting up a radio station used to be, right? And then the final thing is, of course, you've got now the consumer behavior, right? People, you know, consuming media in all its different forms is more popular than it's ever been. And I think the most interesting opportunity that I find for both myself as well as marketers that I work with is that you now have the capability to address niche audiences or micro audiences in a way that was never really quite, it was never really viable before, right? I mean, before there was kind of like mass media and that's pretty much what media was, right? And now you have digital platforms that allow you to cater for very, very specialist, very, very niche audiences. Mm. And that creates all kinds of opportunities for brands because, you know, brands can then look at their own consumers and and now create content for even the tiniest slivers of audience segments. In Influence today, I'm sitting across Miguel Bernas, media and marketing consultant and also the creator of the Quick Silver Generation podcast that's addressing the underrepresentation of the silver generation and also putting forward inspirational stories of uh, people who traditionally have been thought of as residing in the retirement age. It's a second act and they're really maximizing their second act uh, beautifully in different ways as well. So I suppose with podcasts, you know, we really see it taking off in the US. In Asia, I think we're still in the nascent stages compared to what you're seeing over in the US with serial and other long form podcasts. So how long is your podcast? And if there was a recipe for anything taking off in a big way, what would you say are some of the components? Uh, well, there's a couple of things. So first of all, to answer your first question in terms of format, I find that the sort of magic length is somewhere between you know, 25 to 40 minutes. I think that's a good length for a podcast. It just happens to be the length of my commute from where I live to when I work <laughs> in town. And you know, I'm sure that's not unusual for a lot of people. True. The other thing also is that the power of these podcasts is that it really allows you to cater for all kinds of different interests, right? And that's really what I find the most gratifying of, of all of it. And in terms of creating a hit, what do you think are some of the well, important creating components? A hit, yeah, I think it comes down to the creator or the host's passion for a particular interest, mm, right? For yeah. those of us, like including myself, I count myself one of these people who hmm. grew up and was raised in the world of traditional media, right? In traditional media, the discipline was how can we make a show format appeal to the widest possible audience? Well, here it's the other way around. It's like Let's find a community of really passionate people, however small that community is, and you create content for those people. Mm. And because you now have global distribution platforms, the, the potential for you reaching audiences all over the world is mm. suddenly much more open to you, whereas it wasn't in the world of print and broadcast. Yeah, you know, you just have to go to YouTube and you see so many people who clearly want my job. Yeah. Uh, Joe Rogan, for example, is huh. on YouTube. And I'm thinking, Joe, I've been doing this for 20 years and he's been 
been doing it spectacularly for just a couple of years, you know. Started off inviting his friends in MMA and then, you know, brought into all sorts of conspiratorial theories. Uh, well, you, you know, YouTube diet. is a great example. Do I you mean, have to be on YouTube, do you think, for your podcast to succeed? Well, I, I think it helps, certainly. I think it helps, especially when you get to a certain audience size. People start to become curious about what you look like, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily absolutely vital for you to start with YouTube. Mm-hmm. I think it's always better when it comes to content platforms to decide on one platform, focus on that, put all your resources to that. Mm-hmm. Start to build an audience and a community around that. And once you've got a small audience and community, then you start thinking about looking at other at other platforms. I'm just wondering if this day and age, everything has to be visual, including a you know seemingly audio format like a podcast. Does that have to be visual as well? I don't think it's necess- absolutely necessary. Mm. I mean, I, and again, I think the, the, the beauty of these types of formats is like, you, you know, YouTube, the beauty of YouTube is that it, it's what I call a deep passion medium, right? It's like there are huge YouTube creators that you and I have never heard of, but they're super famous within that, you know, content space, within that content vertical that they've decided to, to specialize in. And it's the same with podcasts, right? Mm. You also have people who are personalities, you know, Rogan is, a, is an example who mm. basically is mainly known for having his podcast. There's another which one which is called The Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember. But again, you know, brilliant example of how within a vertical um, you can be a huge star even though the general public may have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. So why the focus on retirement? Why is that a passion point for you? Well, a, a couple of things. The first thing was that you know, we, we, we talked about underrepresentation in the beginning. And what I mean by that is that there was always a discrepancy that I saw with the way people in that age group are depicted in traditional media, right? If you look at a kind of a typical drama or something, elderly people are always, always portrayed as, you know, kind of helpless and confused and don't know anything about technology, etc. Whereas, you know, there is, there is a huge part of this age group that is the complete opposite. And in fact, some of the more interesting people that I know. So uh, the other thing also is that, uh, is that of course, um, longevity is changing and quality of life is changing across the board. If you look at what are today's pension plans or, re- or retirement structures around supporting retirement? Ba- they basically call back to the original models that go all the way back to the dawn of the Industrial Revolution in Germany, right? Uh, and back then, the idea was you need to phase out a, a portion of the workforce at around age 60. You have to give them an incentive to leave so that we can make room for the younger, more productive members of the workforce. Mm. And then after which they're supposed to do the decent thing and then die off Mm. in seven years. And the pension planning was about seven years. And even if you look today, I personally, I think it's bizarre that even in developing countries, people are still forcibly retired at the age of 62. I mean, 62 is ridiculous, right, For in, in my opinion, because people are still perfectly capable of working. They're still very smart, you know, and, and you know, this is, again, why I find it fascinating that all of these interesting people I know are in that age group and 
finding new ways to reinvent themselves. Uh, have you already picked up on differences in terms of attitudes towards money and spending when it comes to this generation? Well, I think one of the attitudes that needs to change is just looking at stereotypes, right? And, and I especially blame my colleagues in the marketing industry when it comes to these stereotypes. And again, earlier we were talking about how they're depicted in fiction, right? They're, they're all kind of fall within certain kinds of stereotypes. Well, let's go after the stereotypes one by one. First is that people in their 60s are technology Luddites, right? They don't understand technology. Well, think about it. This is the generation that first learned how to use the television remote, had to learn how to use a fax, were the first to use PCs at work, were the first to use laptops, were the first to pick up mobile phones, were the first to start using smartphones. Six months after the iPhone launched, the average age of the smartphone user was 45 plus. Hmm. And if you and if you think that was in 2006, 2007, those people are in their 60s now or almost in their 60s, right? So it's not true that they don't adopt to technology. The, the second thing is that um, they have no they have a they have only brand loyalty. You can't get them to switch brands. And again, if you think, I mean, just when I was a when I was younger, if I went to buy shampoo in the grocery store, I had maybe six brands to choose from, maybe even three. None of them were for men, by the way. Mm. And now, if you go to a if you go to a if you go to a Guardian or or or, or something like that today, there's like literally. 300, 400 brands to choose from, right? So this generation has basically been nothing but trialing new brands their entire lives, right? They've been switching from one brand to another all their lives. So it's also not true that they don't experiment or switch brands. And then the final thing is that they're misers, right? They, they like to hold on to their money. They don't like to spend money. Um, and probably the best example, and, and Dave and I talked about this in the first episode of the podcast, uh, was Japan's Dunkai generation, which is their boomer generation. And in 2007, the first batch of these Dunkai generation guys were being retired. Mm. Um, and guess which was the fastest growing sector uh, for this age group? Electric guitars. I would never have guessed that. Right, exactly, right? <laughs> so, but again, if you think about it, this, this age group, you know, uh, portrayed, uh, as we always see in media, as sort of, you know, doddering and, and kind of pathetic. Mm. This is the generation that went to Woodstock, that, you know, that was the origins of the sexual revolution, that, you know, um, uh, uh, spoke, started the protest marches, sure. right, in the 1960s. And when they had free time, clearly all wanted to start a band. That's of their right. Own. <laughs> yeah, they were into rock and roll. Listen, we're out of time, but where can people find and download the Quicksilver Generation podcast? Uh, the Quicksilver Generation podcast is on all popular podcast platforms now. Um, if you have an Alexa or a Google Home, just say play Quicksilver Generation podcast. Terrific. Miguel Brenas, thank you for being on Influence. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.